Even before COVID, the prevalence of mental health issues was on the rise. But since the pandemic began, the number of people looking for help with depression and anxiety has skyrocketed. September is Suicide Awareness Month, and of course, that falls under the umbrella of mental health. Joining me now is Jamie Angelini, Director of Consumer Services at the Mental Health Association of Atlantic County. Thank you so much for joining me, Jamie. Really appreciate it. Uh, it is very difficult uh, for us to talk about this subject, but it does need to be discussed. So let's just talk about suicide in general and where we are with that and how we can make changes to help others if we think that they might be uh, at risk of suicide. So thank you for wanting to talk about this important topic. It's a difficult topic to talk about. And suicide, as we always say, is complicated. It's complex. But there's so many things that people in the community can do. We call them gatekeepers because every one of us can recognize signs and symptoms. There are community trainings we can take. We can ask about suicide openly and honestly and talk about it and not give someone the idea. I think that's a myth out there that if we ask someone if they're thinking about suicide, we would put that idea in their head. So one of the things we try really hard to do is to reduce that stigma and just opening the conversation around suicide and making it a, a typical, normal conversation. Very tough because it has been a taboo subject for so long. And you're right, parents are afraid to broach the subject with their kids for fear that, oh, I don't want to, them to think about it. It's out there already. So it's not, you're, you're not going to be giving them the idea. So you have a program called QPR. What is that all about? Yeah, so QPR stands for Question, Persuade, and Refer. And it's a program that's been around since the 90s. It is a public education course. It's delivered really easily. Um, the nice thing is it's an hour and a half public education training. It's delivered in a really comprehensive and concise way. And we talk about the impact of suicide. We talk about statistics, the ripple effect of how many people are really truly impacted by the death of one suicide. We talk about language, changing our language and not saying the words committed suicide, but instead saying died by suicide. Sometimes just those changes in language are really important. And then we take people through warning signs and risk factors, what to recognize, and then the model of QPR. So the Q is questioning, and it's asking that difficult question. Are you thinking about suicide? And the P is persuade, and it's persuading someone to stay with us, to stay alive, but also to allow us to get you the help and the treatment and the support, whatever that looks like. And the R and QPR is refer. How do we make that handoff? How do we make that referral? And it's not just giving someone a hotline or you know a helpline number. It's truly helping someone get to the support that they need that next step. Um, but so much of it is just opening the conversation and allowing people to build their confidence to talk about what is a difficult subject. Absolutely. It's a class we all should take an hour and a half online. I mean, it's, it's really, especially if you have teenagers or children and you want to open that line of communication with them. And you mentioned, you know, asking someone about that. In, in my mind, I'm thinking, and, and I'm, I probably am wrong, but I'm thinking to myself, if you ask somebody, are you thinking of suicide? And they are, they're probably going to tell you no. How do you really get to the truth with that question? So, and, and a lot of people think that. So the opposite is really true. Um, we have found that oftentimes if you ask someone and they are thinking about it, 
you lower their anxiety, you open the communication. So now if I ask you and you're thinking about it, Robin, now you know that I notice you're in emotional pain. And I may be that one person that you open up to because saying to someone else, I'm thinking about suicide is really scary. Saying it is really difficult because of the stigma. But if I notice you're in pain and I notice some warning signs and I say to you, hey, Robin, are you thinking about suicide? Here's what I've noticed. I'm really concerned. And if I say that with care and concern, the chances are that it will be met with relief on your end. And that's what the research tells us. So we encourage people to not be afraid to, to step outside of their comfort zone, to lean in and, and just ask about it, talk about it, open up the conversation. Um, we know it could save someone's life. You could, you could save someone's life and it could be someone that's very near and dear to you, someone you love. And what about what we're coping with right now? <laughs> we, we thought we were done with this whole COVID situation and now the numbers are spiking once again and mass mandates and vaccine mandates. And it's just been a really difficult time for people when we thought we were really done with this. And now it's resurging again and we're getting, our mindset is getting back to things are getting canceled again. And should we be indoors? And how is that affecting people now? We're just starting to get out of it. It's, it's truly impacting people. And we see it at the organization. We see it in our support groups that we run, our helpline, our text line, um, because everybody, you know, you figure it's been a, a year and a half, I don't know, 17 months or so of adjusting. And now we're readjusting. And one of the things we know about any disaster is that uncertainty drives anxiety. So the more uncertainty that we feel, the more anxious we feel. And everything about COVID has been uncertain. You know, we, we say that it, it has been predictably unpredictable. We say that all the time. So we want to make sure just as a community that we're checking in on each other, family, friends, not just mental health providers, but that everyone is checking in on each other, that we're checking in on our kids, that, you know, our teachers are checking in on our students because the adjustment will be different for them again this September than it was last September. Yes. Um, you're, and how you're, do we reduce that fear a little bit? That's what we want to do. Your kids are younger than mine. I have two in college. My my daughter is just starting at Stockton University. So there's a lot of anxiety anyway when you first start college. And my son is a junior at Rowan, but all last year, and we, we know we all know this, our kids missed so much of that social socialization. So they're going back, hopefully, in person, it seems like right now, unfortunately, having to wear masks, but that's okay if that's what they need to do. But I think a lot of our kids are really still feeling the effects of this. What do we look for? How do we know if it's really something very serious or if they're just moody that day? A lot of times we chalk it up to just a moody teenager. How do we really know if they're depressed or anxious? And it's hard. It's hard to tease out typical adolescents from what we should be more concerned about. But I always say, look for noted changes in your kids. You know, we, we all know our kids' personality. If something is significantly different, if they're acting different, if they're becoming more quiet, more isolated, um, not because of, you know, wanting privacy and being with their friends, but because they just don't want to talk or be around anyone. Um, if they don't want to socialize, and typically they were a social kid, if we're noticing changes in just kind of those everyday patterns, eating and sleeping, those things, we should ask some questions. If they seem sad, we should not assume, well, you know what, they're just having a hard time because of COVID, everyone is, move on. No, stop and ask some questions. And the questions may be, you know, hey, how are you feeling about this? Tell me more. How can I help? Um, 
I, I think we we want them to be okay so bad that sometimes we just kind of you know say to them, oh, you're going to be okay. We're all going to get through this and things are good. But we have to really stop and ask them how they're feeling because they may be frightened and we don't know. Yeah, um, and we're frightened. We, it's yeah, very hard are. to comfort someone else <laughs> when Absolutely. you have the same feelings inside. And it's funny, I just wrote an article about this for New Jersey Lifestyle Magazine. And it was about COVID and kids and classes and so forth. And my daughter was the person I interviewed. So I, I have a college student who's going through all this. And I asked her what she was feeling. And she said, just with so much news coming at her all the time, she felt like the world was coming to an end mm -hmm. and there was no hope. And that just, oh. it broke my heart. Yeah. I was like, for someone that young, 17 years old, to be feeling that yeah. inside. And I started thinking, I really need to limit how much news is on television. It shouldn't just be on in the background as we're walking around, mm -hmm. you know, watch the news and shut it off because that affects me as well, but it yeah. really must be affecting her more than I thought. So those types of things, I think, I guess as parents, we need to be aware of. Absolutely. And that's heavy, you know, for your, your teenager, young adult to say that. And that's what we have to listen for. If our young people are saying, I feel hopeless, I feel helpless because of this situation, that's significant. We need to talk that through. We can't just assume they'll be okay. And most kids we know will be okay. Our kids are resilient, but we can't make those assumptions. We have to ask some questions and we have to continue to have that communication open. And I think you're right. The, the media and the news running in the background all the time, it's, it's tough for us. And we don't always realize they're picking up all of those pieces and they're picking up what we're saying in our households, what we're saying if we're on a call. Um, so we have to just, you know, continue to have these open conversations. Yes. More all, so than we realize. Long. Kids are yes. very perceptive. Even young children Absolutely. can feel what you're feeling. And, you know, how are your kids doing with all of this? Are you talking with them about this? We're, well, as you could imagine, they have a mom <laughs> yeah. like you. We're talking. We're talking mom works for the Mental Health um, Association. Yes, we're, we're talking a lot. But, you know, they feel, I think they feel disappointed and deflated. I think they thought September would look different because we all thought it would look different. Yeah. So, you know, six months ago, four months ago, we felt so hopeful about a different type of school year. So I think now it's kind of like, okay, so it's not gonna look the way it did. Um, and we have to adjust to that again. But yeah, I, I think there are, are pieces that they feel just kind of let down because they were so hopeful things would just look normal again, whatever that looks like. And I think that's something else we have to be careful of is continuing to say, things will go back to normal because they won't. It's going to be yes. different. And we know that. Um, we also have to stop saying new normal. Everyone's saying that. I think it's frustrating for people because it's, you know, it's not a new normal. It's something very different. So we yeah. have to wrap our heads around that in a yeah. different way. And that's Nothing's okay. normal. <laughs> Nothing's normal. Yes. So we can't expect to go back to March 2020. It, it it's not there anymore. So I think yeah. we need to we need to rebuild and we need to focus on other things and continuously building our coping strategies and our well-being. And, and those are things we have to really focus on. And how honest do we need to be with kids? Because what we tend to do as parents is say, everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be fine. Don't worry. It'll all work out because you want to comfort them in some ways. But do we need to say, well, what I do, I don't know if this is right or not. I know it's a difficult time. I feel the same way you feel. And we're not sure what we're going, what's going to happen, but we're together as a family and we love each other. I try to look at some of the positives, you know, mm -hmm. in our lives. And we've had a chance to spend more time as a family together. Try to look at the glass half full wherever yeah. can, wherever you can. I don't know if that's right or wrong, but 
I, I find myself sometimes doing, oh, it'll be okay. And, and I've sort of stopped myself because it hasn't really been okay. It hasn't, like you said, gone back to where we were. So for older kids, I think in my, my kids age group, it's probably better to be a little bit more honest in some ways. I agree. And I think exactly what you said is what we should all be doing, you know, especially with our older kids. I have teenagers and I think saying to them that, you know, I also feel worried and I also feel stressed and I'm here and we're, we are together and we can work through this together. Um, but letting them know that this is really difficult for every one of us. So if it's difficult for you, hey, it's also difficult for mom and it's yes. difficult for dad. So I think having that open conversation is the best thing you could do. Yeah, absolutely. And then I do like that you're pulling in the positives. We're not saying it's all going to be okay, but we are, hey, let's focus on the things we could be grateful for. Um, let's focus on gratitude because there are pieces of that that are coping strategies and we need those right now. And that was my next question. Let's talk about some coping strategies. Gratitude is one of the biggest. I mean, what do you, if you want to call it prayer, whatever you want to call it, but it can be such a powerful force. If you just take a moment out of your day and say, thank you for my blessings, for the good things that I do have and focus on some of the, the gifts that we have, as opposed to looking at the negative all the time. Absolutely. And no one has to, you know, write a gratitude journal. Like you said, it could just be one thing that you wake up and you say it out loud, what you're grateful for. You know, if you want to write it down, great. It also could be just a moment of mindfulness, you know, just being and having that moment to yourself to just kind of, you know, ground yourself and, and, and be alone and think about what you need to do next in a way that's calming, take a step away from the technology, take a step away from, you know, from people. I mean, so some of it are things that we could really easily do that only take a few minutes every day. When you talk about coping strategies, there's so many available to us that are Absolutely. pretty easy. And I think people have are getting the message loud and clear how important it is for to get some physical activity that is just it's always been a part of my life but i think for those who who have been home working from home they start to i'm not even moving i'm sitting in this chair all day and it's really an important element to just make to, to feel better you always feel better after you do it Absolutely. And unfortunately, what has happened for many of us who are working remotely is that we are just moving less. So we have to remind ourselves, we have to be really vigilant of maybe setting a timer to get up every 45 minutes and move your body, make a little post-it and put it on your computer that yes. says, move your body, yeah. move my body. Um, I think you're that right. Your cell phone that, or your, your watch, we, if you have, we have to, yeah. I think yeah. it's so important. I think that is something that has impacted overall wellness over this last year and a half of course and one thing my family has done a lot more of because we've been together so much more is take family walks i just mm -hmm. love to do that we don't really live on a great street to ride bikes but we live in a great area to just take a nice walk and it, it's, it's so peaceful after i'm done it doesn't feel hard it's not like a hard strenuous workout but it just feels great rejuvenating and you're out in nature get a little sunlight you just feel so much better when you do something like that. And what are some other ways? Have you, um, you recommend art therapy or, or doing a hobby that you like? I, that, that's another way people are relieving stress. Absolutely. I think hobbies, just really doing things that make us happy and not looking at self-care well-being as something that's self-indulgent or something we don't have time for, um, but really making it a requirement of our day to day and, and focusing in on how, you know, how can I maybe even adapt the things that I used to do? So maybe before COVID, you were going to the gym and you don't feel comfortable doing that now. So you're going to adapt your routine for home. 
you know, or maybe you were going to a support group in person and that was a piece of your weekly wellness. So now you found one on Zoom. So there's things that we were doing before COVID that we can adapt. And also I always say, think about what you've done to get you through a difficult time before. Dig deep and pull out those coping strategies and use them again. I think sometimes when we're stressed, I know for me, if I'm stressed, I forget my coping strategies. So I have to remind myself and I need the people around me to also remind me and, and really be accountable and, and kind of, you know, be there in partnership, especially when you have your family. So for you, you can take a family walk and you could say, hey, it's that time of the day we're doing it together. Yes. So I, I think a piece of that is involving other people sometimes in your well-being and your self-care. And there's just so many options right now for different things we can do and still feel safe and, and, you know, physically distance if we choose to. That's true. And, you know, you mentioned that social element. That's so much of goes into what people have been feeling. They feel isolated, they feel alone, but even just picking up the phone, or we all now know Zoom, we're using that right now. Yeah. Um, everything's virtual and online, but at least that, at least you can see someone and speak with them and connect with them in some way. Sometimes just even sending a text, as you know, I lost my mom in May, it was very hard and sad for me, but people would just send me a text, like out of the blue, how are you doing? How do you feel? And boy, I cannot tell you, how much that made me, it just made me feel better. I just thought someone's thinking of me right now. Mm -hmm. They cared enough to take the time to reach out to me or a phone call. Some friends mm -hmm. would call or just reach out and say hello and dr drop a little something off at my door. And it just made me feel like someone cared. And sometimes that's all it takes to reach out to somebody who might be feeling alone or isolated or down. One of my friends lost her husband years ago, and I know she's been struggling through all this because she's alone in her home. And we've all been, you know, talking and we, we've reaching out to her. She's actually moved out of the area, but we're texting and calling just to say hi. And that right there can make all the difference in the world. Yeah. So something that if we take nothing away from this, let's think about you know, somebody that might need a little help yeah. and reaching out to them That's part of it as well. And talk to us a little bit about the mental health first aid program. We always try to mention this whenever you and I get together and have a conversation, but I think it's so great. I did it for mental health first aid for, uh, for youth, youth mental health first aid. And I always keep saying, I got to do the one for the <laughs> adults, but talk to us about that program. I know it's shifted a lot and gone, you know, virtual because mm -hmm. of where we are. Yeah, so I'm always happy to talk about mental health first aid. It's one of my loves and something I've been teaching for many years. And it is a public education course, but it's designed to really provide anyone and everyone, so the layperson with no background in mental health, um, and a better understanding of warning signs, early warning signs of you know mental health disorders, mental health challenges, mental illness, whatever you want to call it. And not only recognize the early warning signs, but then have the skills to engage someone. And a piece of it is just noticing. I notice that maybe you're not doing well. I notice something different, but I'm not going to just stop there. I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to say, I'm concerned about you. How can I help? And it really leaves people after that full day class. It's about eight hours. It leaves people with the confidence to truly reach out and help. It's based in evidence. And the evidence shows us that there's an increase in mental health literacy, which increases our knowledge and gets us talking about it. There's a reduction in stigma, which we know is so important. Yes. We reduce stigma around mental illness and mental health challenges. And we talk about it typically. People are more likely to reach out for help. 
And another piece of the evidence is that people who take the class just leave there feeling better that, you know, hey, maybe I'm not the only one, or maybe my family's not the only one who has struggled with mental health challenges. So there's, you know, so many pieces that are based in evidence. There's youth mental health first aid, there's adult, but then there's also modules. We have one that we teach um, for those who work with and support veterans and for veterans' families, one for public safety and police officers, higher education for our college students. Um, I, I just can't say enough about mental health first aid. It is a truly wonderful stigma reducing mental health public education course that yes. I think everybody should take. And it's global, but you teach it here locally. Oh yeah, it is global. It is all over the world. It's in more than 20 countries. It's in every state. And yes, we teach it right here in New Jersey and virtually we can teach it right now to anybody, wherever you are in the state of New Jersey, um, we can spend the day on zoom with you and, and you can get certified. Just in that. like it's, we should yeah. have first aid for physical health. This is a uh, first aid for our, our mental health, which, and I've talked to you about this before over the 30 some years that I've been a health reporter, I have kind of changed my view on it as well. I've learned so much more about mental health and that it's not, you're, it's not a weakness. If you seek help, if you, if you were injured, you would seek help for that. Why, why would people not seek help for, for their mental health? And we still have to overcome some of those barriers, but it is getting better. Don't you it's getting agree? better. We, we have a lot of work to do, but it's getting better. And I love yes. that you talk about it the same way we talk about physical and medical health, because it is the same way, you know, at uh, mental health America, our parent company, we talk about this wonderful campaign before stage four, because we wouldn't wait until we had stage four cancer or stage four heart disease to reach out for help. So why with mental illness do people wait long periods of time to reach out? A piece of that is the stigma. And that's what we have to work on. Absolutely. And it is getting better. I think uh, obviously a big light was shined on it during COVID. And, and the fact that we really do need more mental health providers in our country, it is, it's not always easy to access care. Let's face it. It's tough and it can be expensive. So I'm hoping that things change in the future. Fortunately, you offer a lot of free group programming. Talk to us a bit about that. We do. So we have um, tons of different groups every week. I'll focus in on just a couple around our COVID-19 emotional support, but all of the services are free. They're all on Zoom, so they're easy to um, access. And people can log on and not turn the video on if they don't feel comfortable. They can name themselves anything they want in the box. They can share or not share. <laughs> I love it. Um, yes, that's have, one advantage yes, to some is. people. Yeah. It is because it really, for some, really lowers the anxiety of coming yes. to a support group. And we're not in the group talking about depression or anxiety. We're talking about wellness. We're talking about how we can connect with each other. So like, you know, we have our parents group for parents. This has been a difficult time for you and I and for parents. Yes. We have groups for our healthcare workers, our school nurses, you know, our veterans. We want to really think about different targeted populations and we provide those support groups. And there's so many available on our website. There's something for everyone, we always say. I just think the Mental Health Association in Atlanta County is a wonderful organization. You guys, just everyone I've ever met there, and you are just wonderful. I mean, you really care and you really want to help people and you offer so much and it's all free of charge, which is amazing. Where can people reach out to you? What is the website? The website is mhanj.org and they can find a list of everything we offer right there. That's terrific. And I'll put that in the show notes, along with link to QPR, Mental Health First Aid, anything that uh, you offer people listening to this, we can be proactive about this. We don't need to sit back and just say, oh, well, this is how it is. We can take steps for our own mental health and for the health of people that we love. Thank you so much, Jamie and Delaney. 
Really you. appreciate it. it great to health, see you. Great to see you too. Mental Health Association in Atlanta County. And thank you for joining me for Living Well with Robin Stoloff, empowering you to live a healthier life. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll keep you posted on our most recent episode. Till we see you next time, please stay safe and keep living well.